church and what empowers the church. I am the one who keeps the church. And because we are the church, when was the last time you just said, Jesus, I am yours. I surrender afresh. Lord, your will be done in me. Lord, what is your purpose for me today? How would you want to change me today? Today's message won't be all sunshine and roses. Just know that going into it. It's a hard word for a church that existed long ago, but it's meant for the church in your time right here today. Pastor Daniel will be sharing about the church in Sardis, but will also be reminding you again who Jesus is. He is the one in charge. He's the power behind the church. Really, he's the reason the church exists. So what he says is true and necessary. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Revelation chapter 3 as he begins his message, The Church in Sardis. Because we still are living on this side of eternity, there are things that God wants to do. There's growth that he wants to bring into each one of our lives. And that is something that never ends. I always like to remind people that none of us ever arrive. Like, we're there. This is as deep as I get to be with Jesus. This is how much Christ-likeness God has worked into my life. And I think one of the issues that we all have, I mean, I just think I'm kind of like every person, is that we have a tendency just to do a lot of stuff on autopilot, right? Like, if you go to the same job, like I've been coming here to Crossroads for 10 years, right? And for 10 years, I take pretty much the exact same way to work every single day. But how many times do I get here to the office And I realize I don't even remember driving here, right? It's like, I'm just on autopilot. It's like, you kind of know where everything is. And and unless unless you intentionally like change it up, life lives on autopilot. I think for many of us, like the way that you get ready for work in the morning, your mornings, if you were to map them out, look pretty much the same every single day. And that's a great thing if you and your life and my and my life on autopilot is all that God has for us. But newsflash. None of our lives are all that God has for us. So part of what God is always wanting to do in each one of us is he wants to help shape the habits and the ways that we live. And I believe that God wants us to develop holy habits. And what I think is really powerful, as we've been studying here in the book of Revelation, we're in this section called the seven letters to the seven churches, seven different local churches who are all, they believe in Jesus. But in each church, there's different things going on. Now, I know you all know this. One of the things that we love here at Crossroads is, one, we love realizing that we're not the only church. And I'm here to tell you, if you ever go to a church that's the only church, you need to leave that church. Because that's what you call a cult, right? Like, it's like, it's like you know, the old story, like, you know, there's people and in, in, you're getting shown around heaven when you get there. And you're like, you know, like, oh, and these, these are these people and these are these people. And normally, they, you know, like people who believe in Jesus and like, oh, shh, shh be quiet. What's wrong? They think they're the only ones here. Now, you ever hear that joke before? Yeah, it's like, it's not a joke, it's sad. And and like in heaven, we're all gonna be together. We're all gonna know who's there, right? 
But the thing is, is that we love the fact that we know who we are and we know who God's called us to be, but we love that we're part of something so much bigger. And one of the beauties is we don't ever feel in competition with other churches because we think the church is God's bride. And we meet in different buildings and under different banners and we have different styles, but we're all different. But the thing is, is that no matter what a church is, no matter who we are, God is always in the process of trying to refine and upgrade his bride. If you remember in Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul talking about husbands and wives, but he really wants to talk about Jesus in the church, he says that he's washing her with the water of the word that she might be without spot and wrinkle. So every day, as the people of God, God is desiring to make us wrinkle-free, to get those spots out of who we are. And we live in a day and age where a lot of people want to say, oh, well, that's the pastor's job. But I keep telling you in the series, we are the church. Like, no matter how passionate a pastoral staff is, no matter how much they pray, in the end of the day, a church is what the people are. So we are the church. And all of us play an equal part in being the church. And as as we've been studying these seven letters to the seven churches, we realize that Jesus in his love for his bride is also very honest about what's going on. We've seen all these different things in all of these different churches. And today, as we move into Revelation chapter three, we're going to find that we have a church now that is a church, but it's actually a church that's dead. It looks like it's alive, but it's not alive. Now, when I read that, I think to myself, ouch, But the best response to what we're going to see Jesus say today, the best response is, Lord, is it I? I always think about, remember when Jesus was in his last supper? And he said, hey, one of you is going to betray me. Now, at that moment, it was only in the heart of Judas Iscariot. He was the only one who had designs to betray Jesus. But it actually says that all the apostles said, is it I, Lord? Like, is it me? And when we hear this, what's interesting, and I've talked about this before, in in the history of how we interpret the seven letters to the seven churches, everybody picks whatever church they like the least and say, oh, that's the church in Sardis. That's the dead church. And if you look throughout church history, it's been all different churches, right? But I think the better response, the humble response, the teachable heart's response to say, Lord, how am I like this? How do I have what looks like life, but I'm really, it's not alive? And so we're going to study this together. So open your Bibles, Revelation chapter 3. We're going to take verses 1 to 6 together. Revelation 3, verses 1 to 6. Let's listen to what it says. Verse 1 says, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive. But... You are dead. Now, it starts there. And so let me give you the principle for this. And I think this is so important. Really what we learn here is that you should never judge a book by its cover. Don't judge a book by its cover. Because this church has a name that it's alive, but he says, it only looks like it's alive. It's not really alive. Now, can we just be honest? Everybody, whether no matter how hard we try, we always end up judging a book by its cover. Don't we? Like, we have a tendency, we just see someone, we think, oh, I get what that's all about. I always love hearing the stories. I was just talking to someone about this this morning. They're like, yeah, I remember when we visited Crossroads for the first time. 
And I was like, oh, yeah? What was that like? They're like, well, every, the worship was great, and obviously people were so nice, and, you know, and then all of a sudden, you know, it was time for the preaching, and you were there. And I was like, oh, yeah? And they're like, and immediately I thought, we better go down the block. And I started laughing, you know, and I'm like, and he's like, but then God spoke, and God's word came out. And I just use myself as an example, because I'm an easy target for judging a book by its cover. But we all do it, Right? And we have a tendency to think that when someone puts on a a good persona, that that's who they really are. And in a sense, that's exactly what the church in Sardis has. Now, the church in Sardis, this is now the the fifth of the seven letters. And Sardis sits kind of about 30 miles south of the city of Thyatira, which was the last one we saw. So I keep telling you, it's like these seven churches are almost like a, it's a little semicircle, right? In modern day Turkey and in Asia, that area right there. And it was an important city. It was well known for, it had a famous temple of Artemis, which if you remember, Ephesus had one as well. They said it was a comparable temple, but it was, they never were able to finish it. It was also very well known for having a huge graveyard there. What they called a necropolis is what they called it. It was like over like a hundred hills, huge, huge cemetery that was there. And Jesus, as he does to all of these churches, he begins by saying, this is who I am. Now, remember I keep saying that Jesus reveals to us himself in exactly what we need from him at that time. The totality of who Jesus is, is who our Savior is, but many of us know what it's like when all of a sudden you need God as the God who heals when there's a health problem. Or when there's a need for provision, you need the God who will provide. Or when you feel like you're out of your depth, you need El Shaddai, the all-sufficient one, to show up. See, God loves to reveal himself to us in the circumstances that we find ourselves in. And for the church, all these churches, Jesus is saying, this is who I am. And they're all different attributes of who he is. But for the church in Sardis, he says, these things say, me, Jesus, who have the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Now, If you recall, when we talked about the seven spirits of God, we talked about that in Revelation 1, and also the seven stars, the seven spirits of God could be interpreted many ways. And people keep asking me, Daniel, which one do you think it is? And I always say, I don't know. So you could take it as the number seven is the number of completion, so it's the complete work of the Holy Spirit. That's one interpretation. Some people like to say, oh, it's the seven-fold ministry of the Holy Spirit that you find in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2. I'll read it to you. He's the spirit of the Lord that shall rest upon him, spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of the knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. There's seven attributes of the work of the Holy Spirit in Isaiah 11, 2. And like, That's the seven spirits of God. Other people say if you read the intertestamental works that there are seven specific angels before the throne of God. So if you like one of those, you can... Write it down and impress your friends, but don't say you learned it here at Crossroads. Because we just know, he's saying it's the seven spirits of God. And I think sometimes, and I keep talking about this, if you've studied the book of Revelation, and I know many of you have, oftentimes a commentator, and it's a problem that us pastors have, is we want to speak with authority, so we want to give you answers that aren't in the text. So we give you opinion, and people hold it as answers. Which I actually think the Bible's much deeper than that. And so I always say, if I know what it is, I'll say this is what it is. But all the way through, I'm like, I don't know what's the right interpretation. So here's kind of the, the playing field. If you like one, run with it. But it may not be the right interpretation of it. So you have the seven spirits of God. But we know that Jesus has the spirit. The spirit comes from Jesus. 
descends from Jesus, but he also has the seven stars, which of course are the what? The seven messengers to the seven churches. And really what Jesus is saying is, I hold the church and what empowers the church. I am the one who keeps the church. And because we are the church, when was the last time you just said, Jesus, I am yours. I surrender afresh. Lord, your will be done in me. Lord, what is your purpose for me today? How would you want to change me today? See, the beauty of life in Christ is when we find ourselves saying, Lord, what would you have for me? My life is yours. My family is yours. Lord, what would you have me to do today? And in a lot of ways, the problem for the church in Sardis and the problem for us is often that we don't ask that question because look at the church in Sardis. It says, I know your works, that you have a name that you are alive, but you're dead. Ouch, right? So the church in Sardis, there's things that they're doing and they have a great reputation. But Jesus isn't impressed with the reputation or even the activity. He's saying, everyone thinks you're alive, but you're not. And it's very easy. And so when I hear this, I always get nervous. And then I'm going to make even more nervous. Because in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is maybe his most famous teaching. Jesus talks about people who he said, be away from me, you workers of lawlessness. I never knew you. And they said, wait, didn't we prophesy in your name, Lord? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we serve in your name? Be away from me. I never knew you. And it's one of those passages in scriptures that the only right response is to pause and say, Lord, I do not want to be one of those people who have all the activity, but I actually don't know you. Now, I know it's a sobering thing to think about, but I think all of us will be surprised when we get to heaven who's in and who's not. But I am not responsible for everyone else. I have to say, Lord, is it me? And of course, the Pharisees of Jesus's day, they were big on reputation, weren't they? They wanted everyone to know how spiritual they were. They would pray on the corners. They would give, and they would even give down to like the right number of mustard seeds. But Jesus says, your hearts are graveyards. And so it's a sobering word. And the last thing I would want to do is to remove the teeth in the scriptures. You have to ask yourself, does my reputation exceed who I really am? Of course, the prophet Samuel had to learn this. Listen to 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at the, his appearance or his physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Now, do you remember when the Lord spoke that to Samuel? Remember, God sent Samuel to the family of Jesse to find the next king of Israel because Saul was the king and he wasn't doing a good job. He was kind of off the rails. When Jesse's first son showed up, he was handsome and regal looking and Samuel's like, that's the guy. Yes, he looks like a king. And the Lord's like, no, 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 don't look at the outward. I'm looking at the heart. And remember, 
Jesse's son who got chosen was who we know of as King David. But Jesse didn't even invite David to meet Samuel. He was the youngest. He was, they said he was running. He looked like a, he was looking like a little kid, right? And he was out and he was tending the sheep and he was probably kicking a ball around and messing around. And Jesse didn't even think to bring his son in, the last person who was ever going to be the king of Israel. But that's who God chose. And so we have to make sure that we are not content to have fancy covers, but have nothing on the inside really put together lives on the outside, but nothing really on the inside. Now, here's what I want to tell you right here, right now. Because I realize this is, it's a sobering word. And I'm kind of forcing us to sit here for a second. If you're here and you're like, that might be me. What I want to tell you is, that might be where you are now, but you do not need to stay there. Because Jesus does not leave the church in Sardis being like, look, you guys have a great outside. You've got a great reputation. Everyone talks about how amazing you are. But I know that you're dead on the inside. Because Jesus immediately from there begins to, because of his grace, speak life and encouragement into their lives. And so look at what happens next. Look at what happens in verse 2 of Revelation chapter 3. It says, be watchful and strengthen the things which remain which are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I have come upon you. Now, what I love about this is in these verses, we learn seven keys to revival. There's seven keys to revival right in these verses. Now, I love this. This makes me so happy because it'd be so, in our culture, it's like, oh man, you look alive, you're dead, so you're gone. But Jesus is never in the disposal business. Jesus doesn't have any waste in the kingdom. So he's like, look, this is, might be where you are, but let me show you how to be in a different place. And here's what I want to tell you. If you're here today and you're like, man, well, I'm not dead, praise God. But here's what I want to tell you. If you're feeling like you're doing really good right now, these seven keys are important for you as well because, as we said, we never arrive. So there's always the next steps to simply respond to Jesus. So look at what he says very first. He says he begins with, be watchful. That's the first key. And the exhortation to watchfulness would carry special weight in Sardis because there was... Numerous times in their history where their watchfulness averted a crisis when they were invaded. So for the people in Sardis, when they hear, be watchful, he's really saying, wake up. And really, it's a call to a vigilant attitude. That we need to learn how to not just go on autopilot, but we need to say, hey, listen, I need to see what's going on. I need to be able to discern what is going on in my own soul. What is going on in my family? You got to be watchful, don't you? Now, here's what I've learned. We are really good at being watchful for the other people in our lives, but we're not so good at being watchful for our own lives, right? That's what I've learned, is that everybody, like, they know what you're supposed to do, but it's like, well, hey, what about what you're supposed to do, you know? And one of the things that Jesus is saying, I want you to be everyone else's substitute Holy Spirit. I want you to be watchful about your own lives. And I love the fact that Jesus is always inviting us 
to say, you are responsible for your life. The only person you're going to give an account for on the day of judgment is you. Your life. So as a husband, I realized that on the day of judgment, I have to give an account for how I did as a dad, how I did as a pastor. But I'm not going to be held responsible for anything that somebody does, whether it be my wife or my kids, or because they're responsible. I have to do a, be a good steward of what's mine. And God wants us to focus more on letting him change us than us trying to change other people. And watchfulness is that. It's saying you need to make sure that you are committed to Jesus' mission in the world and in your life. So we begin by being watchful. Then notice what he says next. And strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. Now, I love that because really what he is He's saying here is he's saying that you need the things that are doing well, you need to make sure that you fortify. So he's not saying that they're completely gone. There's still life there, but it needs some attention. I always think of this when I read this about that idea of an ember of fire. Have you ever gone camping and you set up a little bonfire or whatever, or maybe you have a fire pit in your backyard and you have a great time and you're making s'mores and everything. And then at some time, if you're not tending to the fire, the fire kind of goes down. It's just like a little smoldering ember, right? When that's there, if you want to keep the the good times rolling, right? You got to add some fuel to it. You add some wood to it. You, you, you wave your hand, you fan it in into flames and you bring it back up again. That's exactly what Jesus is telling the church in Sardis to do. He's saying, listen, what I want you to do, it's not completely gone, but you need to strengthen the things that are there. So take good, strong steps on the things that you are doing that you know you're supposed to be doing. So he's not saying everything's lost. You have to change everything. Certain things need to be addressed right where they are. So it's an important thing. What are the things that right now that you're doing that is really bearing fruit in your life? Will you strengthen those things? Will you take those things to the next step? And then the next thing, the third thing he says, is that really, in a sense, you need to complete your works. Notice, for I have not found your works perfect before God, or complete, or fully mature. So in the same way, we strengthen things, and Jesus is trying to move us to complete our works, to, to really move into maturity. For many of us, we know Jesus wants us to serve our brothers and sisters in Christ. He wants us to serve in the church. He wants us to take those steps, and we know it, but we started, and we didn't complete it, right? Like, we started the journey, and we stopped along the way. I know for many people, like, man, what's gone on with these last couple of years really kind of uprooted everything? Yes, super disruptive for everybody. But now we need to go back and do the stuff we're supposed to do. And so in our lives, we have to ask ourselves, what has God invited us into that we started that we haven't brought to full blossom? Jesus is real. Pastor Daniel posed an interesting question as he wrapped up today's study. What have you started for Jesus that you've let go by the wayside? That maybe you got discouraged in or simply walked away from because it was hard? Today, Jesus is calling you to pick that back up. He wants to refresh that work in your life. Don't let your faith in the Lord grow stale. Ask God to make himself known to you today in new ways and to ignite a fire in your heart for him. 
Pastor Daniel's message today is just one of many he shared from a variety of books in the Bible. Would you like to explore more? Just visit JesusIsRealRadio.com to access our library of audio. You can also connect with Pastor Daniel on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram through the links you'll find at the bottom of the page, JesusIsRealRadio.com. Hey, this is Josh, and I wanted to personally thank you for listening today to Jesus Is Real Radio. Did you know that Pastor Daniel also has a TV program? It's called Real with Daniel Fusco. I want to encourage you to go to JesusIsRealRadio.com Click on the stations option in the main menu and find out if Real with Daniel Fusco airs on a TV station in your area. Make sure to tune in again as Pastor Daniel reminds you what repentance looks like. It's more than words. It's a lifestyle change. It's walking away from the sin you've been committing and starting fresh. It's asking for forgiveness and then living like you've been given the best gift in the world because you have. Grace is available to you today, just like it was for the church in Sardis. There's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series called The Revelation of Jesus Christ. Please glance at the clock right now and make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio.